Hey friends, Chloe and Michael here, the founders of Mindfully Loved and your co-hosts of the Mindfully Loved podcast. Created with our love of discussing all things healing, growth and slow living, we hope to inspire your own journey toward being a better parent, partner and person. Join us for both interview and discussion-based episodes designed to challenge those unhelpful thought patterns and inspire the positive and sustainable change you need right now. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to second episode of our podcast. So grateful you can join us again today. So what we're going to do today, uh, a bit of a special (laughs) is to, I know we spoke recently about our mission. Now we want to understand the people behind the mission. We're going to start with Chloe. Excited and nervous. Are you ready to (laughs) break down everything about you that has made you who you are today and why we're here, why we're doing this. Oh, I think so. <laughs> Never on this side. Let's try. We'll anyway. see. So why don't we start um, simply telling me a little bit about where you grew up, uh, what was that like, you know, what sort of a child you were, you know, just a little bit about yourself. <laughs> so I grew up in Cyprus. I was born and raised in Cyprus for... Those of you that don't know where that is, it's a small little island um, right in the corner of the Mediterranean Sea between Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, all in that little pocket. And it's a beautiful place, so I invite all of you to go visit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my childhood, actually, it was pretty fairly positive. Um, I was lucky enough to um, live by the water um, and travel for a bit with my parents. My dad was always a businessman, entrepreneur. We owned a lot of restaurants and other little uh, ventures around Cyprus. So it was lovely, I guess, to see him getting himself out there. But saying that, that meant he worked a lot of hours to spend a lot of time with my mom and my older brother. Um, Yes, as a child, I guess, you would say I was very... Hmm, imaginative. <laughs> I've heard the term daydreamer used a yeah. little bit, um, uh, particularly by mum. So tell me a little bit sure. about that sort of mentality. I loved up. daydreaming. I still do. Um, you would, you know, a lot of our home videos see me just walking around and just being in my own little world. Um, I have had imagine a lot of imaginary friends. Um, I had a lot of like a big vivid imagination. Um, growing up, I swore that I did see Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and, you know, and like I stuck to that story. So um, I think having that helped me become who I am in regards to having lots of ideas all the time and keeping that imagination alive, which I think working with kids and children really helps. Um, yeah, so I stayed there till I was 18 years old. Um, I always loved school and the kind of the whole environment of being at school and I think from probably early on I loved babysitting our family friends and I loved kids so around I think around 14 15 that's when I decided that I always want like that I wanted to work at a school Mm. and I wanted to be a teacher actually initially Initially. Mm. Um, but then I guess with the system of Cyprus and how teachers get employed it's kind of like a bit of a list based one so there's a lot, the, the list to become a teacher is a long one. So um, from back then I knew like my guidance counselor said that, listen, if you want to become a teacher, you'll probably won't be able to get a job until you're like your mid 40s, 50s, mm-hmm. until your turn comes in a way. 
So then I started exploring a little bit more about, oh, what else can I do where I can work at schools or with kids? And yeah, psychology, child psychology came into mind. And yeah, that's when I knew that that's what I wanted to go down and mm. um, study. From pretty early days, it was a school environment, mm. obviously, oh, that you I resonated with. Yeah. <laughs> knowing, um, you know, knowing your brother as well and knowing uh, that sort of preset mentality you guys have, I- I'm curious to know, you wanted to work in a school, you wanted to work in a, you know, um, a particular setting that is comfortable, like knowing how your brain works, like I said, knowing how your brother's brain works, very creatively flowing, very um, idea-based, very sort of... So how did that sort of fit in with your plans as well? Was there always the mentality of um, perhaps one day this branches out um, to an opportunity with a business? Or, you know, I, I know your brother always has new great ideas for, for a business and you do too. So how did that fit in with? Funnily enough, I think I started thinking about business ideas and creating my own thing only probably the last five years. Um, I think, I guess having my mom and dad not working a nine to five job and just being very entrepreneurial and, you know, um, working their own schedules. I think I, at that point I craved that stability. So, and I think Mm -hmm. getting a job at a school, at a government school, having that safety, um, security and I guess consistency of nine, like, you know, working eight 30 to four 30 and Mm -hmm. having the security of having a maternity leave or school holidays, you know, my parents always, I guess, like they praised me and they were really happy that I got that. And, you know, I think that was drilled into me a little bit later on in my life that, you know, it's really good to have that security. Yeah. So make sure you get a, you know, government job is the best job you can have and all those things, which I think, and obviously I loved it being in there and I love that security as well. But I think the last five years, that's when I started kind of exploring more, you know, is, is it... You know, there's so much more mm. I can do. There's so much more I want to experience and live and help. You know, I you know I know I've talked about it in my post a few times, but that's when I kind of started hitting a wall as my full-time job as a school psychologist, kind of saying like, well, is that it? Can, do I just see kids, you know, weekly sessions at school mm. or try to help teachers within the school to help the kids? Um, I just started hitting a wall like well, this there's so much more I can do. Mm. You know, this is limiting me. Yeah. So so taking it back a step as mm. well and resuming that sort of, so so you sort of found that school setting to be really enjoyable. You found mm. that even that sort of, you know, perhaps teacher path or whatever it is, um, 17, you know, year 12 and uh, very sort of, you know, comfortable. You know, I know you love the beach and, and, that, <laughs> and that situation there, absolutely perfect. You made a really big call at that point. Mm-hmm to leave a lot behind as well and to take a really big opportunity. Obviously, you, you felt somewhat empowered yourself to do that, but tell me a little bit about that thought process and, and where you got to. Um, oof, yes, when I was 18, I went to America to study. Mm. Um, that was a bit of a shock for my mom, especially. <laughs> um, my dad always encouraged us, I think, from little that, you know, we should follow our heart and our dreams and whatever we decide to do he'll be there supporting us and I guess that's where I feel very blessed and lucky um, and grateful to have had them there um, I think what got me to America was trying to br- break free from that I guess one way conditioning from Cyprus mm-hmm. um, I love I love Cyprus but you know it we I guess the way um, 
it's a one religion um, country, you know, there's everyone does the same thing and you just kind of follow this and leaving, you know, I guess leaving that bubble that you grew up with. Yeah. And I was very eager to get take, get out of there and see what else there is. So I did, yeah, so I did go to America and surrounded my friend, surrounded myself with people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I kind of made a conscious decision to not go into the Greek or Cypriot community and kind of surround myself again with the same thing. Yep. So, um, that must have been tough as well to an extent, not, it, not sort of having the people you know to connect yeah, with. Yeah, you know what, it was, but also I think being 18 and not have, and I was very excited. I think I did not, didn't overthink it. And I just went in and, you know, meeting my roommate and it was just, went all in and loved every minute of it and um, grew so much and learned so much about, um, I guess, the rest of the world. You know, I remember in my uni class, I even took, um, I was born and raised Greek Orthodox, you know, our schools in Cyprus, you know, you start your day with a prayer, you know a Greek Orthodox prayer like it's it's something that's conditioned it's like a tradition you don't even think that it's religion but then going to uni and doing a class um exploring other religions that just opened you know so much for me it's like oh there's so much more out there um I think it, it was the best decision that I've made and it was great because going back to Cyprus then you see everything in a different light and you kind of yeah like it's you can yeah you are able to differentiate what's you know what's actually was something that was conditioning you and what's something that you actually have broken and broke the cycle and changed it and grew up into someone else i suppose one of the wonders of travel is mm. the new perceptions you gain yeah. um uh, there are very different people that live around us you know here right now mm. um how different in comparison to the way that we live our lives you move to a country that uh you know has a different primary religion or has a different mm. uh you know a completely different culture and a different continent uh, it's only going to change your perception, I suppose, as you come back as to the possibilities of how other people live. Mm. So uh, having a, a, an immigrant uh, or a migrant, sorry, sorry mother um, mm. as well in your country, uh, having that connection back to Australia as well must have been an opportunity from young to explore that. So hopefully uh, I take it by the time you got to America, um, travel was something you yeah. understood, perceptions of other people was something you understood at that point. Definitely. And I think that's def that's what really helped me. Um, I guess for those who don't know, my mum was actually born and raised in Australia by Cypriot immigrants um, and then moved to Cyprus um, and met my dad and stayed there. Mm -hmm. So growing up, we would always come to Australia to see my grandparents and family here. Um, so I think that confidence of being, you know, of coming to Australia for two, three months at a time and, you know, become starting to be get comfortable with the language with big cities very different than Cyprus that helped obviously for myself to go to America um you know English language yeah like I wasn't perfect at it but it was I was comfortable with that language at the same time and that definitely helped yeah. And from what I understand, obviously, traveling here as well meant you, you got to meet some pretty amazing people, perhaps future uh, lovers, <laughs> husbands, people you really care for, perhaps. Um, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, no one in particular. Um, but obviously, yeah, so, so the travel has allowed you to gain um, incredible experiences after four years at Hofstra, mm -hmm. four years at Hofstra. 
uh, you decided I want to take this further and you focused a little bit more on a specialty. So tell me a little bit about that and, yes. and what that eventually led to as well. Yes. So obviously um, becoming a psychologist, you have to complete your undergrad first in psychology, just general psychology, which I did um, at Hofstra and minored in sociology, which was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, And then when I guess my... Um, junior year, I had to start figuring out what I want to do with my master's, you know. Um, child psychology was still what my kind of my passion was, working with kids. So as, as I was starting to look into different programs, I found that, you know, the specific masters and PhDs on school psychology, on educational psychology. So I did, yeah, like I applied around um, and I wanted to stay in America. So I applied around unis around America and was lucky enough to get um, accepted into Columbia University Teachers College, which, <laughs> which yeah, it was yeah. a pretty big deal. And I um, actually that master's um, program was three years, but you came out of it having two masters, which was pretty awesome. So a master's of arts and a master's of education mm-hmm. um, and school and educational psychology, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so you did what you needed to there. Seven mm. years have now passed. Mm. New York's become, you know, uh, uh, you left Cyprus at 18, but I suppose your, your real sort of home. formative adult years, mm. yeah, for seven years become New York. Um, talk me through the decision to leave, the decision to move, and where you more or less ended up. Living in New York was a hard decision. Um, at that point, yeah, I had all my adult friends there, created a whole family, Um there, I, I had the opportunity to apply for a one-year visa, work visa there and work for one year. Mm-hmm. However, I think that's when the societal pressure started coming. At that point, I was 20, how old was I? 25, Yes. At that point, I was 25. Um, and I guess talking about as a woman in Cyprus, like 25 and you're still studying and you want to stay there another year. Then after that, what happens? So having those discussions with family and really do I, you know, in their eyes, waste another year in America working and then deciding where I want to live as a 26 year old. Um, So I did decide to move back to Cyprus Mm -hmm. for a few, to give, give it a chance for a few months with the chance, with, idea of maybe going to Australia instead. Yep. So um, with through my mom, I'm pretty lucky that I had an Australian passport uh, since I was little. So mm. I knew that moving to Australia wouldn't, wouldn't be a big deal. So however, I did give Cyprus a chance for a few months. It was lovely to be back and feel stable at home. However, work was not the best. It was right after um, the economic crisis mm. and jobs were still very um, limited and opportunities, especially around school psychology, still mm. is. It's, it's a very slow um, journey, I guess, um, for them to get started. Mm. Um, so then I decided I'll give Australia a chance for a few years until things get better in um, in Cyprus. I had my grandparents here, my cousins, and uncle, auntie, so family here. So I felt pretty safe coming here. Um, and yeah, I moved here late 2013. Mm-hmm. And stayed with my grandma for a few years, which that was lovely as well. Mm. So, like, <laughs> obviously, you're going to stick with the story that you didn't move here for me, which is <laughs> which is absolutely fine. You know, we'll, we'll sort of whatever we need to say. 
but but you moved here you've mm-hmm. gathered your qualifications i'm just going to give this experience a chance now mm-hmm. a, a new city again for mm-hmm. the third time another relocation you're here now um you're looking for work i i, I won't make you go through the registration difficulties mm-hmm. you had in coming across but you found work yeah um yeah it took me a few years to actually get a full full psych registration here as the different, I guess, qualifications and needs that were very different than what America were. Um, but we got that. We got that through. Mm. Um, and yeah, would you like me to talk about just my work job or? Yeah, so tell, tell me, um, I'm sure that people would love to know, you got work at a primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about what that role entails. And, you know, most importantly, Tell me what your experience was from that, because I think that's probably going to be quite relevant to Mm, where you are now. Of course. So I got a job at a primary school, a government primary school. Mm -hmm. So uh, working with kids from five to 12 years old. Um, My position was the first one to be there full time. So I was the first one to fill that position, uh, which I guess was exciting and terrifying at the same time. Is, Is that because it's a new school or is that because it wasn't a position that was... No, well, actually, you know, as surprisingly as it is, not a lot of government primary schools in Melbourne, I'm, I'm not sure about any other states, mm. um, have school, full-time school psychologists. Okay. So um, I was lucky enough that I guess leadership decided that they needed a full-time psychologist there because at the time their school had 1,200 kids. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty good, a big school. Um, and they, I think they were thinking of starting a wellbeing team there, which was great. And I hope like a lot of more schools start do- doing that. Um, yeah, so it was a pretty, um, pretty eventful few years. I loved every minute of it. Um, it had its difficulties trying to maneuver, you know, your caseload and how you want to support kids. Yeah. I remember my first year actually, I had like a caseload of 120 kids, you know, wow. um, and trying to maneuver how do you support all those kids? Because yeah. you know, obviously, when you when you create a role, especially as a role as a school psychologist, you know, the moment families, the moment kids, teachers hear that there's someone there to support you, you just constantly get bombarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all of us need that support yeah. in one way or another. But how sustainable is it to help um, those kids individually? And I know I wrote that in a past post as well, but for me, it was probably year four of working there three that I kind of found myself hitting the wall sometimes. Like, well, what am I doing? What am I doing here? How am I, how can I help um, those kids and create some sustainable and lasting changes within themselves mm-hmm. when the moment they leave my office, they're either bombarded with you know, um, I guess the language and the mindset and the beliefs from teachers and parents that limit them again. Yeah. You know, you know, I've worked with a lot of kids that had pretty yucky family, um, you know, situations. And during our sessions, you know, you try to help them to, you know, deal with those things and overcome them. But they're still children. At the end of the day, the only thing they want, they want is the love and acceptance and safety from the parents. And as much as I tell them in a session, you know, the moment they leave and go back to their home, those things leave them. So I th- it was heartbreaking seeing that. And I started getting annoyed and angry at families and parents and, um, and even teachers sometimes. And that's not, that's not the energy that I wanted to carry. 
I wanted to really make those kids feel loved and make those kids feel accepted. But I thought that my hands were tied. There's, there were not a lot of things I could have done after that. Question. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know, you know, having known you for a long time, I know that um, you've always been quite receptive to, you know, uh, outside the box thinking is obviously something that's quite natural to mm-hmm. you. Creative thinking is obviously something that's quite natural to you. Seven years of a, um, you know, what can be a somewhat rigid or, or um, uh, you know, one directional looking view of psychology, of mm, school psychology. Yeah. You're at the school, you're implementing measures that you know um, you've been trained to do. Uh, you, you had a moment where that didn't feel like that was no longer connecting. Mm. This is where you're registered. This is the type of work that you do under the psychology board. Uh, what sort of allowed that change within your mind as well, that creative flow to go, I need to try something different as well or, or something different is happening here. Do you know what I mean? Is that something obviously that perhaps didn't come clearly through your training? But Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Like there's, And I don't want to even get into the whole educational system, you mm. know, um, but even uni and how psychology has been taught at universities, you know, since I graduated, I feel like I've learned so much more just through my own, uh, you know, extra courses or, you know, learnings that you do. Um, you're kind of trying to find your own way of, um, I guess, working with clients. Um, and through experience, you learn so much more. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's really hard. Obviously, my, my degree, it, it does teach you to, you know, you work a fair bit with families as well. But because you are working at a school, and it's not a, you're not in a private service that parents pay you to come see you. Yeah, it's really hard to really get parents on board with you mm-hmm. without taking you personally. Um, and you know, and most of the parents at school, they truly think that the problem is a the kid. They truly think that the children are broken. You know, I've had so many parents come and say, "Oh, can you just fix them? You know, I can't handle them, handle them anymore. They're crazy. Just fix them." Yeah. You know, and putting all that pressure on the children, and you know, as a school psychologist, my clients are the kids. Um, and, you know, you can you, yeah, you can try and support and share information with the parents, but there's no that. I, I, personally, I haven't found that parents as, were as receptive as what they would have been if they actually booked an appointment with a private psychologist for parenting advice or for family support. Um, so that's another thing that you kind of find your, um, your hands a little bit tied when you work at a public government school do you, th- do you think there's that um obviously we're you know big advocates for for holistic mentality and holistic thinking and and uh you know particularly when it comes to mental health we we know that there's a little bit more than what's in front of us creating a practice and sticking to it if there mm. are things in our lives that are holding us back so um i, I take it uh you know uh, you only have a certain amount of access to the parents as well. Mm. And I take it, it can be quite difficult then having a discussion to say, there's an accountability approach here that needs to come from multiple levels. Of course, of course. And, you know, most of the times, you know, this, those families have multiple other issues, you know, might be unemployment issues, you know, drug issues, even just, you know, um, family breakout, like breakups. So there's a lot there and you know that it, for most of those families, it is hard 
And most of the times, those parents need someone to accept them, mm-hmm. need someone to support them and empower them in order to empower their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you they're, they're not bad parents. You know, you know that they just need society to accept them. They just need other people to tell them, you are doing the best that you can. You know, you don't know everything. No one, none of us, you know, do. But I'm willing to take you, you know, and help you share some information and be open, you know. And unless someone accepts them fully, you can't be open to that. So, um, yeah, it's all about accepting. For me, acceptance came back around. And I think that's when um, I kind of started noticing that, (coughs) excuse me, noticing that I couldn't really support kids as much as I wanted to. Then I started just bring a different approach in our sessions, fully make them feel loved and accepted in our sessions. Make them feel that they're the only person that matters in that room and that they're amazing the way they are and that there's nothing wrong with them. Like we all have our weaknesses and we all have things that we want to improve and that's what we do. You know, very strength-based, but at the same time, recognizing that we have limitations, we have weaknesses mm-hmm. and that's okay, we all do. If it's something that we want to work on, we can work at it together. But that does not make you less of a person. Mm. Your worthiness is not defined about what you can do and you can't do. So started working more through that kind of model. Yeah. Mm. So tell me more about, uh, I suppose, your experience also in getting to this point. Now, um, you've come to this realization, I need to do something a little bit outside of the conventional model that's in front of me. I need to do something outside of the school setting. I need to make a a, a difference here in another way. Mm. Tell me how your experiences, not just in school, but personal experiences led to um, the development of, <laughs> of a business from that point. Um, yeah, as best you can anyway. <laughs> Loaded question. Wow, yeah, it's a lot. Um, I guess it all started from starting to explore other modalities and other kind of continual learnings after I graduated. Mm. Um I always loved learning and putting myself out there a little bit more and just challenging the, the you know, um, different ideas that I have. So, um, and that, that is why I, I was trying to become a hypnotherapist too. I wanted to expand, you know, that kind of modality. I also just recently completed um, a certificate on psychedelic assisted therapies because I wanted to explore that modality. So I personally think that there's not just one right modality obviously um different people are drawn to different things um and i i was always interested in those altered state of consciousness and how that you know kind of uh, that unconscious part of your mind helps you heal some of those things um so through that i was able to do yeah i did some healing through my um some personal journeys myself through holotropic breathwork plant medicines meditation um, and just, I guess, lots of reading, lots of um, personal development myself. And I just, I love it. I love it because every time there's so much more that you learn about yourself. There's so much more that you uncover. And um, every, every time you do that, you just feel a little bit more confident, a little bit more empowered. And I, yeah, I, I truly believe that the best way that you can teach others is through modeling. Mm-hmm. It's through, you know, um through example um and you know by doing that i want to empower others to continue working on themselves investing in yourselves because mm. at the end of the day that's all you have yourself yeah mm. yeah 
Okay. Well, before we sort of, <laughs> I suppose, round it out, yeah. tell me um, tell me a little bit about um, personal experience with breaking the cycle. You don't have to give me, you know, massive examples mm-hmm. or anything like that, but just tell me a personal experience of breaking the cycle uh, and, and uh, you know, where your sort of mission lies from here or, or, or you know, the, 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 uh, I suppose the foundation, we've already spoken about Mindfully Loved, but the foundation now of your path forward. Okay. <laughs> so I guess one of the things that I did, um, I guess it was a big, a big learning for me the last few years was, I guess, showing emotion and be vulnerable. Um, as ironically as it is, you know, I always encourage my clients to be vulnerable. But I did realize through the years that growing up, showing emotions and be vulnerable was not you know, it's not something that was accepted, you know, what's the point of it? You know, crying doesn't fix what happened, you know, so why cry, you know? So, um, and, you know, I was going to say it's probably in our family, but it was probably um, within, you know, a society and, you know, just a separate mentality that, mm. um, yeah, crying doesn't fix it. So why are you crying? Like, mm. and um, not comfortable. I remember even just crying about, you know, random things and how, my brother would just jump in constantly to kind of like make it better. So yeah. I stopped crying. Problem solved. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just fix it. Fix yeah. the problem. Um, so stop crying. It's okay. Like, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get through it. And bless him. Like, it's <laughs> what a beautiful, you know, try. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'm a mother and, you know, dad, like, if I was sad because I didn't get the grade I wanted, he'd be like, well, you know, like, why are you crying? Like, you can't change the grade now. What's the point? <laughs> so I think through the years, figuring out that, it's very important to feel those emotions. It's very important to allow yourself to be sad, angry, upset about something. Because that means that that thing meant, meant, you know, meant a lot for you. Mm. Um, and obviously that would change me, um, change me as a parent in, in, in the future. You know, when I become a parent, it would change their whole approach around dealing with emotions when I do have a child. Mm. Um, so I think that's, you know, that, there's a lot of more real, realizations, yeah. but I think yeah. that's a main one for me. Yeah. Yeah. We could sit here, I'm sure, and go mm. through all day um, some of the growth journeys and, yeah. and things we've had and things we've discovered when it comes to breaking the cycle. So um, in, a, in a real sort of tight nutshell now to finish off from here, where are you going? <laughs> oh, places. <laughs> so many places. Um, well, obviously, you know, Michael, I have lots of ideas. Every day I wake up with more ideas. I'm aware. And I truly believe that I'll be able to complete all of those you know, I have big dreams, um, and yeah, like I would, like this. There's so many things I want to do, and you know, it all comes down to being able to help future parents, to be able to help our future generation. I, like, I would love to just see you know, future generation be loving, be kind, um, and I want to see our future parents really love themselves, so conditionally love themselves, love the children, you know, because and break. Break the cycle of what love means through, you know, through our parents. You know, what love meant with our parents, our grandparents, looks very different of what love should be um, and must be, you know, um, in the future. Um, Yeah, I have lots of dreams, a lot of plans, a lot of projects coming up. 
I don't want to share it all now, but stay tuned, everybody. Yeah. It'll be a fun, fun ride. I love it. Well, I am, uh, you know, obviously being your partner on this journey, I have no <laughs> doubt of what you will achieve and what you're sort of moving to um, from here. We are very confident in that mission. But, uh, you know, for anyone who doesn't know you, hopefully this is somewhat of a little insight into oh. where you are. I may be, again, biased in the situation, being your husband and partner in, you know, multiple ways. Um, But one thing I can assure people is that I'm very confident and always have been very confident in your intentions for why you want to do these things. And if the message I can put out there is uh, with total regard to your empathy and real uh, need to see other people happy and rarely Mm. what's the best part is rarely at the expense of your own because you will put yourself out there you will always do those things for other (laughs) people good at that (laughs) you're fantastic at keeping your own energy um you know a a beautiful soul and that's why i married you i hope people uh will grow to understand that and see that as well but um here we are the end of our second episode i hope you enjoyed Thank you. Some of the questions and exposing yourself in some crazy <laughs> yeah. ways. And, uh... Actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Thank um, you for your inspiring questions. No, no I problems. love you. And yeah, everybody, stay tuned for the, our next podcast where I interview Michael. We'll learn a little bit about his story in life. I'll prepare my vulnerability. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. See Bye. You. Bye.